really the, this week, next week, I'm going to be sharing with you about righteousness. And, uh, you know, and, and you may say, well, why? And, well, there's, and I'm going to show you some of it this morning. I'm going to talk about it some next week as well. You know, but righteousness is about how we stand with Christ right now. And, uh, you know, but many people don't understand righteousness. You read it in the Bible and you're like, well, that's a great word. But you really have no confidence in what it means. And yet, when you understand what righteousness is, it will change the way you approach God. It will change the way that you serve God. It will change the way that you just even think about God and really what He's done for us. And so, uh, I'm going to share some things with you this morning. I'm going to share uh, a decent amount of Scripture with you. And uh, But, uh, you know, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. It'll be up on the screen as well. But uh, this is really the verse that kind of initiated this, if you will. Uh, many times as I'm praying and just seeking the Lord about uh, whether it just be for the church or, you know, even things that He just has in my heart. A lot of times He'll give me a scripture for messages. And so much, many of my messages and series just come from a scripture or maybe a sequence of scriptures that the Lord puts on my heart. And so this one's been on my heart for some time. And according to my iPad, it was on March 31st. And uh, so it's been a few months ago. And so I have a, a list of things that when the Lord kind of drops things, I just have a list of like possible sermon kind of things and then I'll pray about them and then every now and then the Lord will say hey go look at your list and he'll put, point one out and uh, you know so that's kind of how I function as a preacher sometimes and uh, you know um, but this verse here is the one that I really that is really kind of the initial point of this but the Apostle Paul makes a statement in here in verse 34 and he says awake to righteousness and do not sin. He goes on and says, um, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And he says, and I speak this to your shame. And, and really what he's saying is, is that you should know about righteousness. And you should understand this. But you really don't. And, and he's saying here is to awake. In other words, to come out of your stupor. In other words, pay attention. Uh, the word here actually, awake, means to return to oneself from drunkenness. Have you ever had like a late night phone call from a friend who was not sober? Anybody? Has anybody ever been the friend who made the late night call who was not, you know what I'm talking about? I've, I've had some of those calls and, uh, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, and of course, people in that state of mind always want to have philosophical conversations and they want to know the meaning. Of, and I'm like, hey, why don't you call me back tomorrow afternoon? Like when you're back in your right mind, because if I spend time with you right now, it's kind of pointless. Why? Because you're not going to remember it anyways, Right. Well, that's actually what this word here, awaken, actually means. It means to awaken from a drunken state. It means to become sober. Or it also means to return to a soberness of mind. And many times I believe for us as believers, whether we've been saved for five minutes, five years, 50 years, we can lose sight really of the magnitude of what righteousness is. And so I'm going to share some things with you this morning and uh, next week about this. But let me read this to you out of the Amplified Bible as well. This verse 34. He says, Awake from your drunken stupor and return to sober sense and your right minds and sin no more. For some of you have not the knowledge of God. You are utterly and willfully and disgracefully ignorant and continue to be so, lacking the sense of God's presence and all true knowledge of Him. And he says, And I say this to your shame. Now why is he saying it to their shame? Because these are professing believers. This is a church. I mean, these are people who say, yes, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my savior. I believe, you know, that he is who he says he was and, and all of those things. And he's basically saying, you should know better. And what happens is, is that many times people never grab hold of this. One of the most basic 
really foundational principles of salvation because at its core, salvation is all about righteousness. Why? Because righteousness simply means this, is that we've been put into right standing with God. And so we get saved. Why? Because we realize that we're fallen. Why do we, you know, trust in Jesus? Because we realize we're sinful people. And we realize that we're in need of a Savior. And really what, it, what we, in our core is that we simply realize is that we're not where we need to be in our relationship with The Bible says that before we accepted Christ, we were aliens to the family. We're aliens. We, we had no connection. And yet, because now the Bible says we've been brought near in Christ, the Bible now says that God himself, the ultimate judge, looks at us as righteous. But the problem is many of us don't look at us like we're righteous. We don't have an understanding that we are righteous. Now, we have an understanding that, yeah, I'm jacked up. Yes, but I'm jacked up, but I'm still righteous. And so are you. Amen. You know, and that's the beauty of the gospel. God doesn't look at us and say, hey, go get all of your stuff straightened out. Here's your checklist. Come back in a couple years and let's talk. He says, I'm going to take you the way you are in spite of your flaws. And I still call you righteous, but I love you too much to leave you that way too. This is not just say, well, we get to go do whatever we want and God just signs off on it. Well, no, because you can lose the salvation. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. What you can lose, though, is that you can lose the effects and your experience of salvation in the here and the now. You can. You don't have to live the life and experience all that God has for you. Now, we can. And so, you know... As, we've been, as I've been talking about this, and so one of the other things, and one of my definitions, I would say this, of righteousness is this, is that, that we're more aware of where we're seated with Christ than we are by our mistakes or our failures. Many people are so bound by their past, by their mistakes, by their hurts, by their wounds, by all of these things that the enemy would love to bring against us to convince us that, no, you're not really who God says you are. Because if he can convince you of that, he doesn't have to worry about any effectiveness that you'll ever have for the kingdom of God. And, and the devil, I mean, is very, the Bible says that he was the most subtle of all the creatures in the garden. And that's why, you know, he came and he tempted Adam and Eve. It was Adam and Eve. It wasn't just Eve that got tempted. If you want to get technical, it says Eve was deceived, but Adam, full knowing what he did, did it. Amen. So who's at greater blame? Well, I would say Adam because he knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived. You know, and so, uh, but I believe many times is that we look at our past, we look at our mistakes, we look at those, even those just areas of our life that we've not gotten victory over even now. You know, you maybe have served God for a number of years, maybe even many years. And you're saying, man, if I was really who God wanted me to be, I wouldn't be dealing with these same things. Some of that may be a, a wrong focus in your life. Because what you focus on, you magnify. And what, you know, and, and the thing is, is what you look at, Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So in other words, the person you see in the mirror is who you believe you really are all the time. And so, but yet we're called to what? And, and James talks about this, is that we can look into the perfect word of God, see who God has called us to be, and yet walk away and forget all that, and yet still struggle. Why? Because we really don't have an understanding of righteousness. We really don't have an understanding of who we're, we're called and created to be. And so I want to take you back to the beginning of all of this. And, you know, everybody is probably familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. But I want to, you to see it in a little bit different light maybe this morning. And so you, you don't have to turn here, but 
I'll give you the um, synopsis, if you will, of the moment. The commandment to Adam and Eve in the garden was this. God had created a perfect place, no sin, no pain, no sickness, perfection. Adam and Eve were set there by God himself. And he had one commandment for them. He says that the knowledge, or don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree in the middle of the garden. He said, you can have everything else in the garden, just don't touch that one. Why? Because that one belongs to me. That's really what God said. You know, I mean, that one tree, it's the knowledge of good and evil. So what does that tell you? Adam and Eve knew nothing about evil. Did they not know good? Of course they did. They knew God. They were in unbroken, full access relationship with God from the beginning. And he said, look, just don't eat of the tree. It comes out of Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. He tells them, he says, you know, this one commandment I'm going to give you, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or in that day you will die. Now, they didn't physically die that day. I mean, you can go read scripture. They lived on, they had a family, they, you know, all these things. But what happened is, is that they spiritually got separated from God. It was a spiritual death. You know, and so that's really what happened in that moment. And, and so there was this temptation that came to them. And so if you, before the fall, if you think about it, Adam and Eve had never experienced shame. They'd never had regret, remorse. They had never, I mean, you know, I, it's like I can't even fathom this in my brain. And yet, according to Scripture, it's true. I mean, you know, they had never experienced any kind of condemnation. Let me give you another one. They had never experienced self-consciousness. Has anybody ever experienced self-consciousness like where you're maybe a little too aware of yourself? Maybe insecure? Because I shouldn't be here. This person indicates me or whatever it may be. Or, you know, even in the church. I mean, how many of you have ever been self-conscious in the church around other believers? Like, oh, well, you know, they think of me this way or they think of me that way. Or, you know, I don't measure up. You realize that's the enemy working, don't you? Why? He's trying to get you self-conscious so that why? You're not paying attention to who God is and what he says about you. He's trying to get you distracted. And so many times this happens and yet Adam and Eve had, had never experienced this. All they had known was enjoying the garden, enjoying each other's company and walking with God. That's all they knew. It was perfect. You could say it this way is that all they knew was being right with God. They, all they knew was righteousness. All they knew was just God showed up and they're like, hey, what's up? They didn't have any idea to run from God. But when sin entered the picture, what was their first reaction? Number one, we need some clothes. It's funny, they didn't recognize they needed them a few minutes before. But what happened? The Bible says they ate of the fruit and their eyes became opened. How many of you know that knowledge is not always good? Now, knowledge isn't bad, but some knowledge isn't good. Some knowledge isn't. And there are some things that, I mean, if we were all honest, there are probably things that we all wish that we could unsee, unhear, unsay. You know, I mean, why? Because not all knowledge is good. I wish somebody wouldn't have said that to me about that person. Like, let me just give you an example of this. You know, like when somebody comes and they gossip about somebody else and maybe it's true or maybe it's not, but you're not really sure, it changes your view of that person. And you're like, man, I would do anything because I really liked them before I knew this possible detail. I wish I just didn't know that. Even if it's true, you're like, man, I wish I just didn't know that. 
And so many times this happens. And so this is Adam and Eve, though. They had never known sin. They had never known separation from God. And yet they covered themselves and then they went and ran and hid. Of course, God shows up. Most of us know the story. This comes out of Genesis chapter 3. God shows up to come and walk in the cool of the day. The pretty part of the day, which is from what we can kind of interpret here, was the regular occurrence. God shows up and it's a nice, beautiful part of the day. And he says, Adam, Eve, where y'all at? He's never had to look for them. Now he's God, so he knows where they are. And so Adam responds and says, oh, hey, I'm, I'm over here. And he's like, why don't you come out? And he's like, oh, we're, we're naked. And he said, well, who told you? Yeah. It's funny, I didn't tell you. And yesterday you surely didn't care. So who told you? And, and God asked me, he says, Adam, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil? And of course he says yes, and then the blame game begins. Well, it's the woman, well, then it's the snake, and then it's this, and then it's that. You know, and everybody's got somebody else to blame. And what happened in the fall ultimately was a fall of righteousness. Let me say it this way. We call it, you know, falling from the grace of God. They fell out of righteousness is ultimately what really happened. Because when you understand righteousness and, and who we're created to be in this, it will remove all fear and doubt from approaching God. But the problem is, is that many times we don't understand what the Bible says about us and what Christ came to do for us. And therefore, we wonder things like, will God answer my prayer? You know, it's like, well, I can either go to the casino and roll some dice or I can pray. Because my chances are about the same. Maybe God will answer. Maybe he won't. You know. But yet when we understand what Scripture tells us about the subject of righteousness, it will, like the Bible says that we can confidently approach God at any time, at any moment, without any fear, without any shame. Not if it's a good day, not if it's a great week, not if I'm like feeling just on top of my game today. I can approach God with the same amount of confidence on my worst day, in my worst moment, because it's not about what I do anyways. It's about Him and it's about what He's done for me. And so it will change the way that you approach God. I mean, it affects the way you worship. You could have had a bad morning this morning and you're thinking of, well, I wish I wouldn't have said this. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done, you know, whatever may be going on this week. And so now it actually hinders your ability to freely worship God. Well, when you understand you're righteous, it allows you to come to God and say, hey, me and all my mess is here, but I'm here to worship you. And it makes a difference. And so, you know, we see this. There's a Bible that I have. It's called the Dakes Bible. And he's kind of a Bible scholar guy. And he says this about this moment. Is that they lost God consciousness and they gained self-consciousness. All they had known was an awareness of God. And all of a sudden they became very aware of them. Very aware of them. And this is something that the enemy still tries to do to us today. And in so many ways, in verse 7 there of chapter 3, it says that they went and sewed some fig leaves together to create some garments to clothe themselves. You know, we still do that. We may not be sewing physical clothes. I mean, I didn't sew the clothes I got on. I put them on. But you know, even in, in a spiritual sense... There's still things that we try to hide. We, man, we hope people don't find out. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be real and just honest with each other. 
and just say, look, this is what's going on. I'm struggling with this. This is going on in my life. And therefore, we stay silent, but we also stay burdened. See, when I understand righteousness properly, it allows me to come to somebody and and to say, look, this is what's going on in my life. I don't have to be perfect because I'm saved by the one who was perfect. So me trying to be perfect, I've given up on that because I know that's a hopeless cause. Doesn't mean that I can't grow. Doesn't mean I can't mature. I should absolutely do those things. But perfection is not attainable this side of heaven. That's why Christ had to come. But he was perfect for me. He was perfect for you. That's why he could pay the perfect price for us. And ultimately what we get from this is... um, is the gift, the Bible says in, in uh, Romans, we'll look at it here in a moment. It's the gift of righteousness. Yes. Now, my son's birthday is tomorrow. He'll be three. Wow. You know, yeah, wow, that's right. I've bought my son some gifts. How crazy would it be for my son to come to me before his birthday party and say, Dad, I need to do some work before you give me a gift? Because I can't receive your gift for nothing. I have to go mow the grass. Absolutely, son, you can because it's 95 degrees outside. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) But how crazy would it be for my son to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, you know, Dad, I I, I shouldn't eat breakfast today. I haven't earned it. Shut up, boy, and go eat your bird cereals, what he calls it, Fruit Loops. (laughs) Because I've provided those Fruit Loops for you. Why? Because it's not about your worth. You're my son. Yes. Right? So, such a, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy concept to think that my son would have to earn anything. Now, I'm going to teach my son to work. Absolutely. But I also recognize that there are times in my life. Like, I'll give you an example of this in my own life. My dad taught me to work. And it was this way. I earned everything. So here's what happened as a result of that. I didn't know how to receive. Like when somebody wanted to bless me, I'm like, ah. I was just awkward about it. I didn't know how. Well, you know, that also spilled into my relationship with God. Because when I first started living for the Lord, you know what I did? I was going to cross every T. I was going to dot every I. And I'm life with God even. Because all I knew was I get what I deserve. I get what I earn. Now I'm thankful that my dad taught me to work. I'm very thankful for that. But you know, when it came to my spiritual life, that same concept came into that area of my life too. Therefore, I didn't know even, I didn't know how to receive righteousness. I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta be better than everybody else to be righteous. Like I gotta be the the best Christian I know or else. But the problem with that is my confidence was in what? Me, who's a flawed human being. So I was setting myself up for failure time after time after time after time until I came to the realization of this ain't working. I'm tired of this. And then I began to look into Scripture and I had to challenge my thought. I had to challenge the way that I I really approached God, how I approached His Word, how I felt like He approached me, which was probably the hardest one. I had to change how I felt like God approached me, not as... You get a gold star today. You get a special ribbon today. You've had a good week. You've had, you know, you've had four consecutive days and you've not said anything stupid yet. 
I doubt God has ever thought that about me because I'm sure I don't go four days without having said something that I'm like, oops. But, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, but, but that's the way we think. It's works righteousness. I'll earn my way to heaven. Well, you can't. It's impossible. You can never be good enough. You can never work hard enough. The best version, most improved version of us still comes short of God's standard. But that's why Christ came. Why? Because he was perfect. He was the perfect solution for us. You know, in the, you know as I've been thinking about this over these you know, last couple months and praying about it, you know, one of the things that, I, that I'm coming to realize is one of the reasons that I believe that the world has such a problem with the word sin is because they have no solution to it. They have no solution to sin. They, they have nowhere to turn. And because they refuse to acknowledge God, they're hopeless. And ultimately, to acknowledge sin, if Christ is the only answer, well, they can't do that. So what do they have to do? Just, no, 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 no. Sins. But he, here's the problem with that. If we don't call sin, sin, there's no freedom. The Bible says Christ came to set us free. This is the power of righteousness when we properly understand it from a biblical perspective. Is that the power of sin actually loses its power. Because so many times, because what happens, and this goes back to what I said a few minutes ago, is that we are so focused many times on what we're trying not to do. Well, I'm trying to be nicer. I'm trying to not say mean things. I'm trying to walk in love with somebody. And it's always the negative side. You know, I don't have to try to be blue-eyed. I just wake up and I'm blue-eyed. It's funny, I've never woke up and thought, my eyes are brown today. (laughs) But how crazy would it it be if I just woke up every morning going, am I brown-eyed today, am I brown-eyed today, am I brown-eyed today? And so many times that's how we approach sin, though. But if we would just recognize who we are now, sin loses its power. Why? Because the Bible says we've been made righteous. I'm going to show you these verses here in a few minutes. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not trying to become righteous. The Bible says because I've accepted Christ, I am. Right now. It's a done deal. And so let me show you some scriptures here. And these are so powerful. You know, I... That as I read these, and it's really, you can go back and read this entire chapter. I mean, you can actually go read, it's in Romans chapter 5, we're going to read several verses here, but you can read chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 of Romans. He talks all, I mean, it's all about who we are in Christ, really, uh, even about righteousness, but for the sake of time, I just want to read a couple verses to you, starting in verse 1. Now, right before this, he's talking about Christ, how he had died for our sins. And so it picks up and says, therefore. So let me just paraphrase it this way. In chapter 4, so at the beginning of chapter 5, where it says, therefore, you could say, because of what Christ did. And we'll pick up. He says, um, since we have been made right in God's sight. I don't find faith. Righteousness is not a feeling. It's a, it's a faith connection. I don't feel right with God, but I have to choose to believe his word. Because that's how even in my worst moment, I can still say, Father, I thank you that I, I'm sorry for that I've missed it. But I also thank you that I've not changed the way you view me at all. Because I, I accept righteousness as a free gift by faith. Yes. So we've been made right 
uh, in God's sight by faith, says we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Let me tell you this, God is not mad at you today. The Bible says right here, because of Christ, you've been made at peace with God. He's not mad at you. He's not looking to get out. He's not looking to pay you back. Whatever it may be, the Bible says because of Christ, God is at peace with every one of us right now. It goes on and it says in verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Undeserved. We didn't earn it. It's undeserved. And it's privilege. I like that. You ever, you, ever, you ever heard that term like, oh, well, they're a privileged person. Like they just got born into the right family with the, you know, they're just well to do. They're privileged. Guess what? You're privileged this morning. Undeserved. You've been born into the best family possible. Undeserved privilege. Where you now, where you now, now, now. Not one day, not someday in the future, not I'm hoping to one day get there. Now, right now. Doesn't matter what the enemy tells you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The the Bible says right now that I stand in a place of undeserved privilege. Undeserved, undeserved privilege right now. Now that's really good news for us. I don't know if that resonates with you the way it does with me, but right now. We stand in that place. It says that this undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently, say that word. Y'all said that we. You got to say confidently, confidently. That's a little better. That's a little better. You need to what? Because you, because, let me say it this way. Because you know where you are. The Bible says you now stand in privilege. You now have confidence. So you could take the flip of that. If you don't know where you stand, you will lack confidence. But if you know whose you are, it gives you confidence. It says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. What's he talking about? Eternity. I'm not afraid of eternity. You have no reason to be afraid to stand before God. Not only am I not afraid, but I'm joyfully looking ahead to that day. Joyfully looking. That's not in dread like, oh Jesus, just don't come back, please. Like give me a heads up like five minutes before, like shoot me a text, do something to let me know so I can make sure to get a a quick I'm sorry prayer in right before you come. Now, I've mentioned this, I'll mention it. I'm not excusing sin in our lives. But what I am trying to do is to get you to understand the answer of how do you overcome sin. Because just saying sorry isn't enough. God, I missed it. That's not enough. But God has given us the ability to live differently. Now jump down here to verse 14 in the same chapter. Again, for the sake of time, I'm skipping some of this, but... Uh, the writer of Romans actually begins to contrast Adam with Christ. Who The Bible talks about him being the second Adam. In other words, that 
Jesus came to fix Adam's mess for us. That's my version. That's my synopsis. But in verse 14, it says, you know, and it talks about the law and all these things. It says that everyone died from the time of uh, Adam to the time of Moses, even those who uh, did not disobey an explicit commander of the Ten Commandments. They didn't purposely break one per se. It says as Adam did. It says now Adam is a symbol and a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Verse 15, but there is a great difference. It is. I love that it adds the word great. I'm going to highlight several words here because I like them. For emphasis sake. There's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's grace. God's grace is not just enough to cover our sin. It's way more than enough. It's a great difference. A great difference. Your sin is small. God's grace is massive. And that's the way we ought to look at it. The areas of our life where we miss, you're like, God, I know this is small to you, but it surely seems big to me in this moment. And the devil keeps talking about it. So it's a big deal to him. But I know that to you in this moment, this is not a big deal. And I do repent. I'm sorry that I missed it. But I think it doesn't change where I stand one millimeter with you. Not at all. Because you call me righteous. It goes on, it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater, even greater, is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. It says, As the result of God's gracious, or, And the result of God's gracious gift is very different. Very different. Not kind of different, not just like, okay, we're going to kind of paint over this a little bit. No, God's very different. His gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. You ever felt condemned? Yes. You ever done something like in the moment, even at the moment, you're like, I'm like, I hadn't even finished what I'm doing and I already feel bad for it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the way the enemy works, though. He dangles it out there, and even as we start moving towards it, he's already lining up his condemnation, his guilt. He's like, gotcha. You know, like I like to fish. I mean, some of y'all know that. But, you know, uh, you know, there's times where I can throw a lure out there, and I'm reeling it in, and I can see the bait, and I can watch a fish come up behind it, and he's just kind of following it. It's a lot of fun. It's not that much fun when he turns and goes off. It's a lot of fun when he hits it, though. Sometimes I feel like that's the way the enemy is with us. He's like, oh, yeah, you're close. You're tempted. Come on, come on, come on. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. And, but even then, man, he, he's so fast to turn sin into condemnation. I mean, Romans 8, we won't look at it this morning. It says, therefore, there is now, now no condemnation. Right now, no condemnation. I may realize that, Lord, I need you. And I think we ought to always be in that place. If we ever get to a place where we forget how much we need God, we're in great trouble. I mean, it, because why? Because now we fall into, well, I'm okay, and, I, and, and I'm, I can sustain this. You didn't save yourself. You can't sustain yourself. It's impossible. But the enemy will come to try to really thwart and to hinder what God wants to do in your life because he'll bring condemnation. And yet it says that Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, being made righteous, even though we are guilty of many sins. Now we is we. Y'all realize that, right? Like every one of us is included in that we. 
There's no exceptions from that we. We all had many sins. Where was I? Verse 17. Let's finish up with verse 16. It says for this... uh, Verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Death ruled over many. And even greater, or but even, is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who will receive it. See, righteousness is a gift, but you have to receive it. You know... I mentioned this earlier. I bought my son some birthday presents. You know, he has to receive it. Which he will have no problem with. I can guarantee you that. He won't think twice about it. But God won't force you to understand who you are in him. You have to receive. Just like you, God won't force you to get saved. You didn't just wake up one day and be like, man, I got saved in my sleep. Like... I'm a new person. It didn't happen like that. You had to decide. Well, you're going to have to make a decision. Who are you going to identify with? That sin nature, that that sin consciousness? Or are you going to identify with God consciousness? Who the Bible says you now are right now. When the enemy comes and tries to make you feel guilty and condemned, who are you going to identify with? Your mistake or the, the abundant, massive grace of God? You've got to make a decision. I want to live in righteousness. And this isn't, there's no perfect way to do this. Nobody's just got this down. And the other side of this is, you can also go to the side and to the degree of being arrogant about this too. Well, you don't need to be there. But it's having an honest assessment of who you are. But realizing God's grace is more than enough for me. God's grace is sufficient. So God gives, through His wonderful grace, gives us the gift of righteousness for all who will receive it. It says, for all who will receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. See, when we receive righteousness and have an understanding of who we are according to Scripture, what does that do? It causes sin to lose its power. Sin loses its power when we believe we are powerless to it. Well, it's just who I am. It's just what I do. This is, this is just my weakness. Well, your weakness was crucified on the cross. Amen. My weakness was crucified on the cross of Christ. The Bible says that he paid the price for all of our failings, all of our sin, all of every misstep we will ever make. It was all paid for by him. But it's righteousness that actually gives us the ability now to triumph over that, those areas of our life. So if I realize that I'm not just an old sinner saved by grace... I was an old sinner saved by grace. But the Bible now says I have a new name. I'm part of the redeemed. I'm, I'm one of the righteous is the way Revelation calls it. You go and read. It says that the righteous ones come. What a cool name. It says their, their robes are washed white, pure, clean. You won't be in heaven tattooed with your sins. Quite the opposite. You'll be washed perfectly clean. So for all of eternity, people won't know you for who you were here. They're going to know you for who you are there. And yet in our mind and just in our our thoughts many times, we get hung up on this. 
So it goes on in verse 18, it says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. A new life for everyone. Who will what? Who will receive it? you got to receive it. you gotta, you just got to take it on. Like, okay, God, I don't feel this way about me, but apparently you do, so you're smarter than me. You see your grace. I I can't wrap my brain around it, but if that's what you say about me, then I'm just going to agree with you. You're like, well, man, I I can't believe that that I am righteous. Well, just agree with God. Make a a quality decision to say, I'm going to agree with what God says about me. I don't see it, but apparently he does. I mean, you ought to wake up saying that. Father, I just thank you that today you've made me righteous. I, I have no need for guilt. I have no need of shame or regret. My past is my past. It's part of my story, but I think it's been redeemed. That you're going to use that pain in my life and you're going to help me reach people with it. It's redeemed pain. It's redeemed hurt. And that's the way God works. And so, you know, over in the Old Testament, I'm going to, I'll just read this to you. It's out of Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. This is actually talking about Christ and and part of his name. It says in uh, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says, The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will uh, raise up a righteous descendant from the line or from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. You know, in the Old Testament, God would reveal himself by his names. And it was many times Jehovah, and then you could put it like, uh, let me think, Jehovah Rapha, right? The Lord who heals, right? I mean, um, what's some other ones? Give me. Jireh, you know. What did you say? Jehovah Jireh. I thought somebody else said something else. I heard something else come out. Sid Canoe, which is righteousness. There's, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's eight times that God revealed himself. And in other words, he said, God is you know, it's like how we would say God is love. He doesn't just have love. He is love. God doesn't just have righteousness. He is righteous. Well, here it says that Christ would be the Lord, the captain of our righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this. It says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we might be made right with God through Christ. God made Christ to be The offering for my sin, for your sin. Why? So that we could be righteous with God. That I could could be just as eager to respond to God as Adam and Eve were before the fall. I got nothing to hide. I have no reason to be afraid or to be shameful. See, that's that's the trick of the enemy trying to put a wedge and to distance me from God. Christ came so that there would be no distance between us and the Father. He came to give us full access. That's why Christ came. And so now we have a choice. Do we receive this free access? Because it's, it's our understanding of righteousness that, what? that causes us to have the ability to triumph over sin. Sin loses its power. Why? Because now I identify myself as righteous, not just a sinner hoping to get to heaven. There was a time that was true of me, but it's not true anymore. You're like, yeah, but you still sin. Sure. But that's, that's not who I am. I mean, the clothes I'm wearing aren't who I am. Blue eyes is who I am. That's probably bad English, but I don't know if it is or not, but it sounded bad when it came out. My mom would be disappointed if it is. 
There's a, a quote I've used many times, and, and yet it just, it helped me very much when the Lord really began to deal with me about this. Because uh, even in me pursuing what God had for me, I had, everything I was doing was really trying to be more because I thought God wanted me to be as opposed to just resting. That's the thing about righteousness. It causes you to rest. You ain't got to work hard. The Bible calls it a finished work of Christ. I'm not trying to finish it for him. It's finished. And I have to rest in what he did. You have to learn to rest in what he did. And so here's the statement, and it challenged me, and it's really part of what a number of years ago really kind of got me to start looking at this, is that I'm a son by birth and not worth. So you can apply that to you. You're a son or a daughter by birth, not worth. That's the way God looks at you. It's never about what we do. It's about, what, about who we are in Christ. Here's another one, another statement. These are out of the same book that I'd read years ago, but they've just stuck with me, is that my activity does not define my identity. My activity, your activity, does not define who you are. No more than your job. It's not who you are, it's what you do. Now, we can identify that, but that's not who you are. It's just what you do. Well, see, the same thing can be true of even in the areas of our life where sin grabs a stronghold and maybe gets the upper hand. You are not your sin. The enemy wants to convince you of that. Our culture wants to convince you of that. You are your sin. You are what you do. That's just who you are. You can't help it. You, it's, just, it's just the iniquity in your family. Well, iniquities can be broken. I'm a living testament of that. It started with my dad. I'm still working it out, but I promise you it will not be in my son. We're changing our family tree. And it started, why? Because we got into the Word of God. And we began to realize, this is not who we are. So you can, you know, can a zebra change his stripes? No, but God could. And the same is true for us. We are not defined by what we do. We have to be confident in who God has created us to be. And many times, I mean, it's such a basic principle, but so many times we we can run past these things not realizing the weight of what it produces in us. We just kind of, you know, getting our Bible reading through, but not really stopping to think. The Bible says right now, we've been made the righteousness of God. And that God's grace is not just enough. It's way more than enough for us. And it doesn't matter what we face, doesn't matter what we got going on, doesn't matter what challenges we have. God's grace is more than enough for you. You're like, yeah, but there are no yeah, buts. Because whatever you want to say behind your yeah, but, I'm going to say, but Christ. But God's grace, but, but God's goodness, but God's faithfulness. God has not given up on you. God has not thrown in the towel on you. God still has plans. God still has purposes. God still has his desires for you to fulfill in your life. See what happens, and and I've experienced this in my own life because many times I've been way too self-conscious. I am way more apt to disqualify myself long before God is. 
And so many times we're like, throw in the towel, just give up on me. And God's saying, no. You know, and I like fighting. I don't like fighting. I like watching other people fight. I don't like getting hit in the face. But uh, that's just the truth. Uh, uh, One time me and a friend of mine, we were, this was totally off subject, but like the one time I've ever boxed in my life, we had some little dinky boxing gloves. He punched me square in the nose, and I just thought, man, that wasn't fun. And uh, I just don't want to do that again, but I like to watch other guys. Well, you know, there's two ways to quit in a fight. You can either just say it, like, hey, I quit, throw it, you know, just in MMA, you tap, you know, like that saying, I quit. But, you know, there's also another way, which is when your corner throws in the towel. That means you're not quitting, but your, your corner's saying, he ain't got enough sense to quit. And so many times I believe that we're waiting for God to, to just give up on us. Yep. And he's saying, absolutely not. I've paid too much for you. Amen. The blood of Christ was too precious for me to quit now on you. And we see this over and over throughout Scripture. And, and many times I think we're, in our minds we're thinking, God, just give up on me already. And he's saying, you don't realize what I've paid. Amen. You don't realize the cost that it took for me to, to purchase you, to ransom you, to, to be able to call you righteous. And so many times I think, man, God, I'm just, I'm just not worth this. And he says, you never were. <laughs> you never were. So God's not getting shortchanged thinking somehow, man, I, just, I, got, I thought I bought something and I got a lemon. No, that's not how God says, I knew what you were the moment I paid the price for you. Amen. And I would do it again. Yes. And so we have to have the confidence that comes from righteousness in that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 say this. It says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new creation. That old life, that old self is gone and a new life has begun. Beginning of verse 18 says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Other translations more familiar, behold, you know, it would be the King James, New King James version of this same passage would be this. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You've been created anew. And part of your newness is righteousness. Don't let the enemy work at you and work in your life trying to get you off of that. You, need, you just need to agree with who God says you are. Amen. Stop identifying with who the enemy says you are. Start identifying with who God says you are. Yes. And when you do that, it creates this confidence in you. Not an arrogance, a confidence. My son doesn't run up to everybody in the church going, Are you my dad? You my dad? You my dad? Who's my dad around here? He knows I'm his dad. He has confidence. Why? Because we have a relationship the same way as with us, with God. What I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads this morning. And I have.